Namaste. Man's life is described in the Vedas and Shobindo also speaks of it as a battle and a pilgrimage. So pilgrimage is the far destination towards which we have to go. It's a pilgrimage because it's end is uh, meeting the Godhead and becoming one with that. But on the way, the path is through the battle. And in the beginning, this battle seems to be outside us. So we are fighting with people, we are fighting with the environment, we are fighting with all the forces around us. But as we enter into the subjective spaces, which is where yoga begins to take place, we discover that in, in the words of uh, Savitri, there is no visible foe. Intangible forces besiege us. This hidden foe lost in the human breast, man must overcome or miss his higher feet. This is the inner war without escape. So this is how the journey goes from outside within. And then either we can lock ourselves up within or transit to some other world or we return back and then it is from within outward. That's the whole journey of yoga. There is a nice, uh, there is a human aspiration which we all carry. Today, somebody sent me, you know, New Year messages. So one of the WhatsApp message was, uh, imagine that there is, there are no boundaries. You know, we all know this. We are familiar with this song. With nice little graphics of people helping each other. There are no boundaries. There are no countries. Everything is wonderful, beautiful. The whole point is that uh, while this aspiration of an ideal perfect world, of an ideal perfect human state is something inbuilt within us. It's a dream. It's the, it is the dream divine which is sown in our hearts. And it's not for the first time. Right if we look into the ages past beyond us, we see that this dream man has carried despite the collapse, despite the failures, Multiple failures, we know often the sign of adolescence is that this dream comes up, surges up. And the sign of maturity is that you stifle the dream, you say it's not realizable, unfortunately. And uh, as Shubhinda says that it's a bird, half wing is broken and half wing is flying well, one lame foot forward and the other backward, that's the strange enigma of human life. So why does this happen? We start life with great aspirations, high hopes. When we enter into the yoga, for some time we are on cloud nine. Some of us straight away plunge into yoga of the cells and all kinds of things. (laughs) As we go through the journey, we discover more and more the intricate web of forces that are around us in which we seem to be trapped or held back as if there is no release, there is no way out. And then we begin to wonder what really is this ordeal of yoga. 
people come to yoga thinking oh finally i have found peace and when people would come to the mother saying that i have found my ground of peace he would say if you want peace go to raman ashram there you can find peace there is peace of course a lot of tense concentrated peace within the ashram but it is also a battle actually all yoga is a battle in a way why is it a battle because to start with normal life moves along in a at a slow pace so it is also moving toward the same destination but at a very slow pace so there is no disorientation you carry things along your family your circumstances many people stay forever in the circumstances of their birth in their religion in their way of life thought beliefs etc they are their comfort zones which human beings have built and then slowly even progresses little by little but in yoga this progress becomes concentrated intensified so it is very disorienting to start with and then if one wants to escape the law of earthly gravitation which holds us back then after some time we realize we need another kind of fuel and all traditional yogas have spoken about it they speak about the six basic enemies that are a threat to our evolution yogic evolution and shobhita says that while you have to yoga is not a path basically where you have to struggle and fight but there is a band of spirits enemies whom we have to dislodge whose names are anger and lust and greed in in sanskrit we all grew up reading about them kame kama krodha lobha anger lust greed moha that kind of delusional attachment mad pride arrogance ambition matsar jealousy so in ordinary life we take a little bit of dose of this and it's supposed to be a digestant so people often can't sleep well if they haven't gossiped about someone or spoken meaningless you know this this is the stuff of life of which uh, humanity is composed of but when we begin to go beyond then this becomes serious it's okay as long as we are leading the life which is not meant to go beyond a certain limit but the moment we want to go further then these these things which have been part of our everyday life they begin to stifle us so there is a battle and shobindo says in a famous letter no yoga is easy like french without tears need to put effort that's why the effort of the yoga but when it comes to shurbindo's yoga the battle becomes lot more fierce why it becomes lot more fierce because in traditional yoga you want to escape them and i often use this um, analogy supposing you are stuck in a territory which is uh, governed by the isis you know we had that famous story of that girl escaping from the clutches of the taliban this there was a famous movie made on that so you have to fight it's not easy but still after some time you get a release you get a passage there are people who will help you to come provided you escape from a particular limited territory but imagine if the same girl said i want to change you guys i want to change this place 
I want to change its functioning, its laws, its way of life. The resistance is going to be hundred times higher. And Shobindo's yoga being not just an escape from earthly life, but a transformation of earthly life, therefore the challenge is hundred times higher. And where does the change begin? One of the things which I have often spoken about, when we come to ashram, come to Auroville, we have read beautiful things, we have read about a beautiful future, and we believe we are now walking into a utopia. <laughs> so, <laughs> utopia has to be built. If you don't build the utopia, we are not ready for it. Even if it is utopia, you go to Shiva, uh, you, you know, but you have no faith, you don't have surrender, you will shiver in the cold. You will be afraid of the Vasuki who is around Shiva's neck. You will be afraid of the bull, Nandi. You will be afraid of everything. You will be afraid of the rat who is, you know, moving around. They are in perfect harmony. In the consciousness of Shiva, the rat, the uh, snake and the uh, peacock, they are all in perfect harmony. But you will be unhappy if in that entire region of Kailash, instead of Shiva and Parvati, you are seeing all else. So, it starts this way, that we believe we have entered a utopia, but there is a passport and a key to the utopia. So, this dream of mankind that imagine there were no boundaries, etc. is a beautiful dream. It cannot be realized unless we have found the divine self to, as a starter. All else, whether it be yoga of transformation or, you know, physical cells getting transmuted, anything else, first... One should be well grounded in the divine consciousness without which it is just impossible. All will remain a talk. And that's why Shobindo says that this power which, these forces which stop us, they don't allow us to go, give us a tough battle. He uses the word, it is the decisive ordeal of the yoga and their house is in the vital, especially the lower vital. Because the lower, see how these forces came into play. If you look at the involution process, they have pressed upon matter, which is such a hard nut to crack, to make life spring forth. So they are tremendous forces, extremely strong. On the other hand, they have immersed, tearing the veil of matter. Life has immersed. And therefore, these forces have almost burst forth from the hard coat of matter. They are rudra forces. There are forces of lust, anger. They, have, they hold the earth nature in their sway. Because they were necessary at a point of time. They were the needed, uh, now we may use the word needed evil, but otherwise matter would not stir. That's the whole story in one of the Upanishads, that matter wouldn't stir. We may have beautiful thoughts. We may think about uh, lovely things. But unless the victory is in this domain, there will not be a permanent change. These are the ones who still hold our entire life. And that's why human beings who begin to take to the spiritual life in the beginning, they develop this strange kind of a dual being within them. One part which is beginning to aspire. It wants beautiful things. And the other part which pulls us back. A tree beside the sandy river beach, holding to the heavens, to the skies, its topmost boughs, like fingers to the heaven they cannot reach. 
This is the soul of man, his body and brain, his heavenly flight detained. Now when we encounter this challenge in the yogic life, there are some typical attitudes that we take. Some which are helpful and some which are hurtful, which are dangerous. One attitude is to cover them up. Brush it under the carpet. And its sign is that we see evil in everyone. Often people ask, you know, they start seeing hostile forces, adverse forces. <laughs> Shobinda has written, uh, you know, maybe few pages on adverse. <laughs> but the stress is on seeing the divine in everyone and everywhere. And the mother speaks about it. The fundamental realization of yoga is to see the divine everywhere in everyone. After that, hostile forces can be tackled. If at all. Otherwise, and so in the beginning, we have to just go past the adversary like an arrow shooting its target. We don't have to look left, right, but go forward, discover that, without which all else will not work out. Then yes, once Arjuna has secured Sri Krishna, the victory is certain. But first he secured Sri Krishna that he will be the charioter. And then the battlefield. Otherwise it's just not possible. So these are, and if we put them under cover, we see them in everybody, but don't see in ourselves. See, that's how quarrels begin. Quarrels begin because I have this idea that I am right. It starts with that. Then next is, I am the only one who is right. Then you are wrong and everybody else is wrong. See how problem starts. And then there is fight, there is quarrel, all for petty things. There is the story of a place which was... Uh, you know, a monastery, but it was not doing well. People were fighting and money was not coming. People stopped coming and they called a yogi and yogi told to the four, uh, you know, monks who were managing the place something in their ears and said, don't disclose this to the other person. And he went away. After that, somehow things began to improve. After a few years, when everything improved, they asked, let's Consult each other. What did he tell you? He said, what did he tell you? And he had told only one thing to each one of them. It was one of you. One among you is an incarnation of God. Now life became difficult. (laughs) The moment he was angry and rough, what if he is incarnation of God? (laughs) So things began to improve and change. What is the basis of harmony? The basis of harmony is not adjustment, tolerance. It's that there is the divine presence in everyone. This is the baseline. Of course, there are many other things. But the baseline is that there is the divine presence in everyone. This is precisely what the lower vital refuses to accept or acknowledge. And therefore, it brings up its own revolt in certain characteristic ways. It likes to quarrel. At one place, mother says, it's so strange that human beings quarrel. I think we would put it the other way. If people are not quarreling, we wonder, do they really love each other? They are not quarreling. We don't hear any, any quarrel happening between them. But that's how life today is. So, when a person seeks to evolve, then these challenges come. So, one of them is putting them under a carpet. But due to the action of truth, it cannot remain hidden. Something mother has spoken about 
life in the ashram. I believe it applies to Auroville very much. It is mother's space fully. And it is going to be more and more because now the Matri Mandir, the soul of Auroville has been installed. So the hidden problems are going to show up in the open. The mother once gave a message to ashram, some, somebody in the ashram. Don't do anything here which you want to remain hidden because nothing can remain hidden here. It is the action of truth. So human nature as it is begins to show up. Notice something, 2018, then Matri Mandir, then 50th year of Auroville. And we see that problems begin to come up because now the soul of Auroville is active. And so it is putting pressure on all the points which refuse to yield. And what are these points? That's where the battle lies. In a community as well as in individuals. And that is the lower vital. And what does the lower vital do? It wants to carry on in its own way. Shubindu speaks of it as certain characteristic ways in which this uh, revolt of the lower vital manifests. So one of them is arrogance, vanity. Vanity and arrogance. So this vanity and arrogance takes this attitude, I am right. I often use this limerick, my name is Benjamin Jovit. All that is knowledge, I know it. All that I do not know is not knowledge. And we go on to say, I have heard people say this. No, no, mother didn't know. She has said this. It can go to any extent. And it can be so dangerous, we don't realize that we are playing with fire. Long back when uh, I was involved with uh, Bangalore, Bhavan and relics were going to come. So somebody just cautioned me, said, you know, you are bringing the relics here, but I hope you know that it's playing with fire. I said, yeah, yeah, I I mean, not realizing (laughs) what it means. And yes, it is playing with fire because what is coming is truth. To stand, see, as human beings we have instinctively learned to put up a good facade. We live in this idea that I know it all. This lack of humility, one of the things the mother says is a great protection against hostile forces is humility, sincerity, vigilance, humility. It opens the doors to knowledge. I don't know, just to acknowledge this that I don't know is such a, it requires, I mean it's the most commonsensical things. After all, I don't know beyond the tip of my nose. And yet we live in this arrogance and vanity. I know it all. And we can go to the extent of saying that, you know, this in, in Indian thought there are five, six kinds of pramana, the proof, evidences. One of them is Aptavakya Pramana. So the word of the seer is taken as that, yes, I have not reached where he has reached. He has seen what I have not seen. So I don't question it because, well, he has seen it. I can cultivate that vision. Nobody is asking us to believe it. That's why there is the yoga. That something they have seen, I have not seen. But I can see it if I follow the path. That's the logic of the path. But if I keep doubting what has been seen, what has been revealed, then there is little hope. I mean, of course, I can carry on on my own way. That's freedom of life and uh, as Shubhinda says, land up in a cropper. So this is one of the ways that, that it manifests. Vanity and arrogance and this becomes worse when 
one refuses, one believes that I know and I alone know, it becomes so difficult. The lower vital takes this attitude and it prevents the change of the outer man or the external person or what we normally call as our character. That's why we'll see sometimes people ask um, ashram or will Shurabindo communities, I have traveled. They say, why is it in Shurabindo communities? Sometimes we see very, very difficult, uh, you know, cases. Uh, cases is because being a doctor, you know, I'm used to the word people. So I have two answers to that. One is action of truth. Those of us who have lived in the outside world, we know that how we can appear pleasant but carry the venom inside. The same person who in the office space is, yes sir, I'll do it sir, comes home and see the claws and the fangs and everything come out. There is that uh, Jekyll and Hyde <laughs> in some measure in human beings. That's why even, even there is a, uh, you know, night and day, they have an effect. It's known, all yogis discover it. If we are sincere, we'll see what daytime brings, all beautiful thoughts, hopes, aspirations, what night brings, what fatigue does to us. It's a whole study in ourselves, in itself. So this is how we are, we begin to develop it. I mean, this shows up. Second is that, where will the most difficult cases go? But to the supreme healer. So these are the reasons why we see. But they cannot remain hidden. Unlike outer world where they remain hidden. So we think that this facade is what the person is. But it's a facade. So another danger of the lower vital is that it puts up facades, shows, shams. And we discover new shams. When we take to spiritual life, I am a sadhak. And sometimes, you know, sadhak comes with a serious grave tone. Oh, he's a sadhak. Don't disturb him. People often ask. Sometimes when they make a call, I hope I have not disturbed your meditation. <laughs> so I say, we are not supposed to do only a special meditation, but to stay in that state all the time. If I get disturbed, sometimes the answer is by paradox. If I get disturbed, then I don't know how to meditate. That is the mother's answer. And somebody was, you know, uh, mother had asked the person to make some uh, car, I mean, he was doing something with the wood and making noise. Or noise is inevitable in the process. He was not making noise, but in the work. And somebody was very disturbed and he told him, stop it because I am meditating. And he wrote to the mother, what do I do? Follow your instructions. Or I listen to this person whose meditation, I am incurring a grave sin by disturbing him in his meditation. And the mother says, continue the work, he does not know how to meditate. And then she adds, one can meditate in the battlefield. The entire Gita is about that. One can meditate in the battlefield. With the arrows, whizzing past, hissing all around, death and destruction, one can still be focused on the immortal. So this is something which the lower vital doesn't know, so he puts up a facade, acceptable front. It will wear a dress, sport a smile, grow a beard, do anything, but it wants to, you know, uh, keep up the show, keep up the sham. And this is going to go away. They, they, in the age that is going to come, all shows and shams are going to be torn away. This is what we see happening since especially the 80s and 90s. Nobody can... 
continue with that kind of you know facade when somebody asks the mother mother now that the super mind has come what are the things that the super mind will uh, throw out of the universe so mother says throw away what do you mean if we accept what shurabindu has written it will remove nothing from the universe then after a moment she says yes it will put each thing in its right place that's what evil is about evil is about things not being in the right place and second thing she says yes one thing it will throw away and that is hypocrisy so all of us who say today's children are gone cases <laughs> because they they are experts at tearing away the mass what it will throw away is hypocrisy you can't uh, pose as a swami swami is about self mastery but if we don't have mastery over ourselves it will show up and people will make fun so that's the second aspect that it tries to put up show it tries to put up a sham and it starts believing in that lie and that's so dangerous that i am developed i am evolved this is impossible for me one of these uh, you know uh, disconcerting experience in yoga and i'm sure many have experienced it i have experienced it is that you feel one day i am freed from this and then you have to pray like augustine lord grant me chastity but not yet and then you say oh god oops i did it again and then you pray so slowly you learn how to navigate you discover guilt is not part of yoga but the struggle and battle are and after some time you discover the secret and the secret is instead of tormenting and fighting and struggling with these forces cultivate the light cultivate the truth cultivate instead of struggling with lust cultivate love instead of struggling with darkness cultivate light instead of struggling with hate and jealousies how to throw it away cultivate generosity cultivate nobility and as these things will grow in nature these other things will instead of struggling with arrogance that goes most undetected cultivate humility so this is the way slowly we discover that these things become lesser and lesser and lesser first we grow in that positive dimension of yoga and the third characteristic um, resistance that it takes place the ordeal of the yoga is there is dissimulation and disobedience so much emphasis mother and shobinda and here disobedience not about each other and even in savitri there is a line that obedience is the training school before you can wear the crown and be the king when we read the stories of the great ones seen in india we had a system uh, it king he did not automatically became a king because he inherited the kingdom he had to go through a stage of obedience in gurukul where he was he had to forget that he is a king or a prince or anything at all the entire emphasis of those days was on uh, in gurukul was on brahmacharya in the first 20 years of life what is brahmacharya it's about learning to discipline your vital 
And often I, uh, as psychologist, I divide, you know, children as they grow up to 25 in these four periods. First seven years, a largely body with a little bit of vital, but a very nice vital, sweet vital. Oh, my child is so lovely. You know, all this is so wonderful. And then we see that the lower vital comes up. And then there is a kind of challenge that parents face. And the sign of maturity is when the mind develops in the next three, that is 14 to 21, and it masters the vital. Sign of a human being, a developed mature human being is that one genuinely masters the vital. But there have been ages of mankind where this mastery was emphasized. It was a part of growing up. You didn't grow up into an adult unless you had not learned to master the unruly vital. And since it was, so often we mistake, people ask mother that you have asked freedom, freedom, so what is freedom about? She said, I have, freedom doesn't mean to do anything and everything. That's never, it can never be freedom by, by its very nature. But this lower vital wants freedom. It says, I will do what I feel like. She says, nobody is here to do whatever they wish to do. Life cannot continue. It's, it's, it's not natural. We will end up destroying ourselves and everyone. There is freedom to make choices and to go through the consequences. And some semblance of freedom begins when the mind has actually begun to master the vital. And it's not at the mercy of every thought that comes to me is right. Every WhatsApp that I receive, oh, it must be true. Every friend who gives me a suggestion, if I accept it and sway at it, or need not be a friend, Maybe just a suggestion that comes to my mind. Every emotion that stirs my heart is true. And if I move with that current, it can take me very, very far. So, that the, even to become a human being, very beautifully mother describes in one of her conversation. What is characteristic of a human being? The mind mastering the vital. That's what man is. Less than that, he is, of course, an animal. He doesn't have uh, horns, doesn't have, uh, you know, fangs, tooth, nails, tail. Still, he is only man for namesake. He is not yet man. He is still governed by the vital, taking him in any direction. Where does spiritual life begin? Next level. So he speaks about Superman. He says, man governing the vital by the mind is truly man. And that's where moral evolution comes into play. Divine transcends morality. But Shivinda says that very few can spare themselves to pass this and take a leap. It's just not possible. One will stumble and fall. So when we become man, moral values, of course we all know they are not ultimate, they are not final. But in India, we use the word sattvic person who becomes, you know, sattvic person is has everything that everybody has, but he has a certain degree of self-mastery. So this is what maketh a man. But what makes a spiritual man? Control or mastery of the mind by the higher spiritual consciousness. What does it mean? So we have the whole image of the Gita, the senses. If the senses are driving us like the horses, 
and the man is sitting there and you ask the man, you seem to be enjoying. He says, yes, these horses are taking me on a jolly ride. Where are they going? He says, I don't care. I go where the horses take me. What would we say of such a person? Fool! They may take you down the drain. Ah, Keep your jnana onto your side. Let me enjoy my trip. And the line between a trip turning into a bad trip is very thin. So there have been civilizations where self-mastery is a way of life. It has been inbuilt in the fabric of society. So that's where we see the horses taking. The second is the mind controlling the horses. That's where we have the uh, rope which is tying the horses and there is a person sitting here. But who should control the mind? Mind also can come easily under their sway. So the third problem is self-justifications. Having tendencies is okay, but self-justification is where I I'll get angry naturally because somebody always will have some excuse, some reason or the other. Always there is somebody to blame. And if there is nobody to blame, ultimately God who made us weak and incapable, poor God has to take the buck, stops there. But complaining and blaming God doesn't help me still. So instead of complaining and grumbling, whatever be the reason, now the only course is let me open to his help and come out of this morass in which I am caught. But self-justification is a very dangerous habit. And people who have developed mind have very sophisticated justifications. One example is somebody who was admitted in Jipmar, who was a sadhak. I won't take that. <laughs> it's so scandalized. He was, you know, very angry, impatient. Why this is here? Why it is here? And he said, sir, we are very ordinary people. The doctor told him we are very ordinary people. But you know, you are supposed to be at least a yogi. Why are you behaving like this at one point? No, you don't understand yoga. Shurabindo's yoga. It brings out all these things. And he said, okay. <laughs> if this is what yoga is, I will better stay away for some time. Well, there is a truth in it that it brings out things which are hidden. But it doesn't mean it should bring it out chaotically. It doesn't mean that I'll have no control over myself and I'll say, well, I am drinking a lot because this is the problem of the world that I have taken upon myself. It may be true, but be a man. To be a man is certain degree of self-mastery over the vital. But still we are caught by the mental concepts. And spiritual being is somebody who has gone free from those frameworks of beliefs and conceptions in which we try to tie the reality. God is this, God is that. Mother said this, mother said that. Quote, unquote, misquote. When we come out of this and live and breathe in that higher consciousness, then we are truly a spiritual being. Then the mind is also mastered. We, thoughts don't govern us, we govern the thoughts. Mother speaks of it, see, one of the last uh, uh, talks she gave in the playground was on the Dhammapad. And the reason why she took them up was, she said, this is a basic lesson and we don't know that also. How to master the mind, how to control the mind. And often, this is one of the best uh, conversations of the mother on Dhammapad. They are part of volume 3, but they are taken up, um, you know, in 1958, 57 to 58, I think. Uh, or, yeah, 58 from 
April to August or something like that, six months. But these are so beautiful, how to control the mind, what kind of thoughts we must entertain, what kind of thoughts are harmful and detrimental. And one of the places where she speaks about speech, how dangerous it can be, the, the dangers of gossiping, slandering, of speaking ill of others. Often we say we are doing mother's work. And I have earlier, I have caught myself several times that if I think about somebody in this way, actually in a sense, I am hurting her work because she is working in the person. I should not take that course. That's right. I have my viewpoints. But then I am hurting some mother's work. She is working within that person in her own way. It's going to take time. So as we work upon ourselves, it brings a certain generosity of nature. Because we, mother has used the word sunny tolerance. So these are the ways justification, disobedience and indiscipline. And if we continue that way, Shobindu says, this is the decisive ordeal of the yoga. And if you choose that path, then there is no, this talk about supramental and all this becomes meaningless. So I just want to read one of the letters. Those who want to read it, it's there in Letters on Yoga, um, volume 2 of the four volumes in CWSA. And it is titled as the decisive ordeal of, of this yoga. And this has been written to someone who, uh, you know, who has been revered by many as a very advanced sadhak. So we should be very careful. There is only one advanced sadhak or two if you want to put it, the mother and Shurabindu. And all of us are brothers and sisters sharing the joy, struggling and helping each other. So that's how it is. And she speaks about, uh, he speaks about them as cardinal defect. And he writes, whatever there may be in these higher parts, aspiration to the truth, devotion or will to conquer the obstacles and the hostile forces, it cannot become integral, it cannot remain unmixed and unspoilt or continue to be effective. So long as the lower vital and the external personality have not accepted the light and consented to change. And there he says, it was inevitable that in the course of the sadhana, these inferior parts of the nature should be brought forward. In order that like the rest of the being, they may make the crucial choice and either accept or refuse transformation. This is what we see in the mother also. There comes a time, there is a long period in which Shivinda gives a long robe. A very, very long robe. As he told to Amrita, you know, he got friendly and Shobindu one day tacitly encouraged him asking, so Amrit, it's time to meet someone and he took it as a sanction of the Lord and one day he asked him, sir, uh, I'm planning to get married and he said, what nonsense. And he says, why did you allow me to go so far and Shobindu says, to see how far you can go. And he says, this long rope is necessary because, see, it, it's not like a religion where you forcibly suppress something but inside. It's not putting on a cover or a mask outside. But harboring all those things inside. It's not like that. So at some point these things have to be handled. 
But at some point, and many people who start with the struggle in the beginning, struggling against these forces, that also is not admissible. That's why Shubhindo was not very keen on taking people who are very young into the yoga. Because the lower vital will throw up things. And they live in a kind of idealism. Uh, then you face uh, the ground reality. Many lose the flame, which is unfortunate. But there are few who nurture it and keep it and grow it and find the way, the right means. And eventually, they become a bridge between the heaven and earth. But that's a long journey. And these are the challenges of the journey. At some point, these things will come up. And one has to tackle them because action of truth, they cannot remain hidden. And then Shubhindu says, my whole work depends upon this movement. It is the decisive ordeal of the yoga. And then he says something very interesting. If the little external personality is to persist in retaining its obscure and limited, its petty and ignoble, its selfish and false and stupid human consciousness, this amounts to a flat negation of the work and the sadhana. I have no intention of giving my sanction to a new edition of the old fiasco. This is the fiasco he talks about. This much quoted sentence, which people say, oh, he is talking about religion. It's not this. It's about letting the lower vital have its play. Its place there in religions. We can see blatantly in every religion, every cult. It displays there. This he doesn't want, that outwardly we are very nice sadhu bachas, but inwardly we are harboring all that is dark and dangerous and ugly because for our good, it's not for somebody else to start with for our good. And so he says that if somebody persists in this, a partial and transient spiritual opening within with no true and radical change in the law of the external nature, if then any sadhak refuses in practice. Now see his compassion. Read this sentence slowly. If then, any sadhak refuses in practice to admit this change. First he is speaking about refusing in practice. Then he puts in or. This shows in this compassion. Or if he refuses even to admit the necessity for any change. <laughs> of his lower vital being and his habitual external personality. I am entitled to conclude that whatever his professions, he has not accepted either myself or my yoga. So if somebody says, I want to go my way, I don't care. You may say that I am a Shiobindo's devotee, but that's not enough. Shiobindo has to say, Yes, you are my devotee. Like Narad goes around and says, I am the greatest servant of the Lord. Finally, he comes to God, to Vishnu. He says, you are always in a hurry. Have you seen what is written in my book? In my book, your name figures much later. So this is how it's not about belonging to an organization, an institution or saying I am Shurabindo's devotee, giving lectures on Shurabindo, writing books, conducting seminars, none of this. At the end of the day, what will matter is whether one is able to take this great evolutionary challenge, this inner war, and of course, not all are called upon for this. One thing should be very clear. Life moves in its own way. world is full of all kinds of things. Mother would say that, that uh, there are things which... Uh, world has space for everything. Want to enjoy life, destroy yourself, take drugs, do whatever you feel like. But this is a special field. This is meant for a special evolutionary purpose. 
So he further see the compassion. I am well aware that this change is not easy. The dynamic will towards it does not come at once. Dynamic will. One is, yeah, yeah, I want to change. But then there is no dynamic will. There is no effort. And it is difficult to fix. And even afterwards, the sadhak often feels helpless against the force of habit. Knowing this, the mother and myself have shown and are still showing sufficient patience in giving time for the true spirit to come up. But if in anyone this part not only becomes obstinate, self-assertive or aggressive, but is supported and justified by the mind, it is a different and very serious matter. So it's one thing to have it, it's okay, everybody has it, it's habit, but not to justify, to keep striving, to put in one's own effort, call for grace, stand back, become detached, call peace, hundred things to do. Stay busy if nothing else. Don't concern yourself with, you know, all kinds of things. People have devised a new word nowadays, spiritual activism. The human mind has so many ways of <laughs> justifying itself. You should be very, very, very careful about, you know, all this new spirituality. First thing first, to find the divine. First thing first, to see the divine everywhere. First thing first, <laughs> to become one with the divine will, surrendering one's own will to the divine. Then yes, then go like Arjuna with Krishna on the battlefield. But don't imagine that everybody who is a good archer at words is Arjuna by default. That is the difference between Karna and Arjuna. Both are good. The difference is one is surrendered, has faith, obedient to what the divine wants. It's so important. Shubhinda speaks about this obedience so many times. He says there is no surrender without obedience. And actually, if we look at it, what is the meaning of saying I surrender myself, but I'll do my own way? It's a paradox. It's a contradiction. So, so he speaks of that. And, and then he says how many ways it, uh, you know, uh, all the pretense, etc. And So what is the way, he says? If he is frank with himself and straightforward to the mother. Frank with himself is to be honest, mentally honest. One of the first things that one must learn, even as an adolescent, not to, uh, you know, say that, no, no, I am wonderful. Or, I mean, not to depreciate also, but to be frank, yes, I have this difficulty. I am harsh. And divine has so ordained life that he will make sure that there are people around you who will make you see what you don't want to see. And people whom you just can't do away with. And all spiritual disciplines say this. That you know, if there is somebody very critical of you, near you, you are lucky. Definitely more lucky than a flatterer around you. There can be nothing more dangerous than having flatterers around. You will never discover anything. Rather you will begin to live in a bubble. Today's language, glass bubble. And we are looking for flatterers. We are looking for people who will justify us. See this, how dangerous it can get. I will not only take drugs, but I want people who will say it's cool. See that's how peer pressure works. People say yes, why not? It's my way. That's your way. It's my way. So there are people who come together. Why? Because it strengthens 
our tendency. And mother has said, how the role of friends and friendship. She says, I have seen promising youngsters who lost their way and eventually destroyed themselves because of friendship. Karna is one example from history. <laughs> but there are many because when friends justify a tendency which is dark and dangerous, there can be nothing worse than that. So we have to be so careful in choosing friends. So, frank and straightforward to the mother. We may wear very nice white ironed clothes on Darshan day, but she sees what is inside. So we should be just as we are and tell her. So people often say that mother knows everything. Why should we tell her? Well, mother knows everything. But when we tell her, it means we have become conscious. Otherwise, she has to work to make us conscious. And everybody who has walked the path knows. Just becoming conscious can be so painful that yes, you carry this within yourself. And it takes time to just to accept and acknowledge. But that's how it is. Um, he will begin to recognize the source and nature of the obstacle and will soon be on the direct road to correct and change it. So two things he is asking us. To be mentally honest, which is the beginning of sincerity and to be frank with oneself and straightforward to the mother. And the rest will be taken care. And then he speaks about certain kinds of, uh, you know, posturing before others, claiming the part of a superior sadhak, one with greater knowledge and occult powers. All this is so. Vanity, arrogance, disobedience and indiscipline. This habit of disobedience and disregard of discipline is so strong that it does not always need to be deliberate. The response to it seems to be immediate, irresistible and instinctive. One of the first things you learn in the ashram is discipline. You can't help it. You are called at 7.25, you go at 7.26, the gate is closed. It's a tutoring in discipline. And actually one can't be even a man if one is not disciplined. So, one suddenly meets someone who will bring out apparently the worst in you. That's the moment to catch. Not the person, but yourself. Ah, I am feeling hurt and insulted. No, 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 no. I am not supposed to feel hurt and insulted. That's what is sadhana happening inside. One may meditate. That's a different story. But remain unchanged. So, always there will be people who will help us. <laughs> even though they are <laughs> hurting themselves. <laughs> this constant indiscipline is a radical obstacle to the sadhana and the worst possible example to others. Dissimulation and falsity of speech and it takes various forms and a dangerous habit of constant self-justification. And But through all this, he reminds us, Whatever the difficulties of the nature, however long and painful the process of dealing with them. That's why endurance, faith, perseverance, ultimately mother says victory comes to the most persevering. Whatever be the difficulties, however long and painful it may be, they cannot stand to the end against the truth. If there is or if there comes in these parts the true spirit attitude and endeavor. The true spirit is to recognize them, have a dynamic will to reject them, 
And then there is, I, I mean, of course, there was this person who went away from the ashram and he would suddenly send telegrams to Sri Aurobindo. Sir, I have fallen again. And Sri Aurobindo will send a reassuring reply. Sir, again, I have done it. And Sri Aurobindo will say, blessings. Sir, need your grace again. And Sri Aurobindo would again say, tell him. <laughs> asked. How many times? He says, as long as he is open, as long as he is asking for help, help will be given. So what shuts us? By declaring ourselves as a gone case. This is the last uh, trap of the, if I may use the word devil, pessimism. And the mother says in one of her talks, you know why you think you are gone cases or you are difficult or impossible? She says, I am going to shock you. It is because you don't have faith in the grace. He says, yes, because if you had the faith, you would persist. You would know that there is nothing impossible for the divine grace. But we give up. And then what happens? We just continue our way. And then the mind even brings in all kinds of theories. See, I turn to the divine. This is what happened. I can't change. Nobody can change me. The divine will change. But we have to persist, recognize and keep on exposing it to the light. But if a sadhak continues out of self-esteem and self-will or out of tamasic inertia to shut his eyes or harden his heart against the light, so long as he does that, no one can help him. Again, so long as he does that, he can open any time. Then he says this yoga can only be done to the end by those who are in total earnest about it and ready to abolish their little human ego and its demands in order to find themselves in the divine. It cannot be done in a spirit of levity or laxity. The work is too high and difficult. The adverse powers in the lower nature too ready to take advantage of the least sanction or the smallest opening. The aspiration and tapasya needed to constant and intense. It cannot be done if there is a petulant self-assertion of the ideas of the human mind or willful indulgence of the demands and instincts and pretensions of the lowest part of the being commonly justified under the name of human nature. We are here to change human nature, not to prolong its reign. And this is very important for all of us living in this generation. It cannot be done. If you insist on freedom for your human mind and vital ego. That's what I I was saying the other day. See, this is the difference of standpoint. In India also we talk about freedom. But what is that freedom? Freedom of the self. That is the fundamental freedom. If we are not freed from the ego, if we are not freed from desire, if we are not freed from ignorance, we are not free. We are driven by the whiplash of these forces. We are a slave at the mercy of these forces and we believe we are free. We are bound by our thoughts where we hold ourselves free. After all, where do these thoughts come from? They come from all kinds of spaces and we don't even know what spaces. We don't have mastery. We think this is my freedom of thought. This is my freedom of speech. I can say anything, it doesn't matter. This is a very, very dangerous uh, trend. First we must discover the true freedom. And then yes, all else will follow. So he says, at least for this yoga, he is very clear. 
This cannot. All the parts of the human beings are entitled to express and satisfy themselves in their own way or at their own risk and peril if he so chooses as long as he leads the ordinary life. But to enter into a path of yoga whose sole object is to substitute for these human things the law and power of a greater truth and the whole heart of whose method is surrendered to the divine Shakti. Ultimately, what really is this freedom uh, in ignorance is that I refuse to surrender. I want to go my way. And if I want to go my way, we are free to go our way. But we should not say, I am into yoga. That's all that Shurabindu is saying. We must know what we are signing up for. And it's so true in, in everything of life. Even in a country. Can we say, I'll follow my law? There is a law of the land. You just can't help it. You may like it or you don't like it. You may complain, grudge. But till the law is there, you have to follow the way. I can't uh, go to US and say, I'm going to drive on the left-hand side of the road because that's how it is done in my country. I, I mean, two steps and <laughs> I land up. <laughs> so, man cannot be free as long as he has not discovered the inner freedom. That is the message of human cycle also. Shubhinda says, he will need the police, he will need the law till he has discovered the true inner freedom. Now, whether he wants to discover it, chooses to discover it or not, that is his choice. But this is the path and Shubhinda is very clear about it. Let me close with these lines from Savitri. <clears throat> and that's why the task work undertaken by Shurabindu is so difficult. We often say, where is the super mind? Why don't we see? We have to look inside and see. Why don't we see? We'll discover the resistance. We'll discover the doubts. We'll, we'll discover the uh, all kinds of uh, waywardness, revolts. This is not to dishearten. Again and again, Mother says, this is just to recognize and then to place it before the light and then walk through the journey. <clears throat> yes, there are happy ways near to God's Son, but few are they who tread the sunlit path. Only the pure in soul can walk in light. So somebody is asked what is meant by pure in soul. The soul is always pure. But it is when we are enjoy rolling in the mud of lower nature. And especially mother has cautioned about speech. Incontinence of speech. And the harm done by incontinence of speech. Abusive language. And again, uh, since we are at it, I must uh, speak about it. There is a trend nowadays. The trend is, it's cool to speak four-letter words. But mastery of speech, it was so much emphasized at one point of time. You have to speak the truth. Speak beautifully the truth. Powerfully, you should be able to see. When people in Draupadi is being, you know, everybody is discarding, how can you be married to five husbands? You are uh, this, you are that and all kinds of things. You don't deserve to be an empress. You are a fallen and all this. Then finally they ask Draupadi, you, okay, we are giving you a chance to state your viewpoint after everybody has discussed. She doesn't shout. She doesn't get angry. She says only three short phrases. 
or rather one phrase, three short words. She says, all that I will tell you is dharma, rakshati dharma. Dharma, defense, dharma. I know I am on the path of dharma and even if all of you say things about me or against me, my dharma will protect me and defend me. What kind of faith that is? This is the kind of power we all must cultivate. That's, that's how power comes in yoga, not these magical things. Doing kind of magic and, you know, outwardly. But the true magic is when these parts change within us. So, this is, uh, as I said, this is a whole Kurushetra. Each one has to fight their own battle within. And each one will have his own unique difficulty in the lower vital. Very often we see the difficulty of others because we have a blinder. Because that part is not our difficulty. That's true. But we have to see into our own difficulty and not put a blinder over it. Work on it as we conquer it or as it is conquered in us with the help of the divine grace. So we will help this difficulty become less and less strong in the whole world. This is how a sadhak Genuine sadhak or whatever you want to call it, aspirant helps this world. By conquering something within, he helps the conquest of that problem in the whole world. By Swaraj, he extends the Samraj. By becoming Swarat, he becomes the Samrat. Okay? Thank you so much. Yeah. If, I don't know if there is something. Um, we have 10 minutes. Just one thing I wish to add since nobody is saying. It's so important, first step of yoga to cultivate peace and equanimity. You often forget meditation, experiences, ascension of consciousness. All kinds of things are going on. Peace and equanimity are the first fundamental practice. I think without that, we cannot handle these things. They will go away if there is peace and equanimity. They can't breathe the atmosphere of peace. They don't like. They want to party. They want hooliganism. They love that. They feel strengthened. They draw energy from these kind of things. But the moment you create a zone of peace, they say, oh, this is so boring. This is so dull. This not exciting. How do they know how many exciting things are going on inside? And they run away. So individually and collectively, a zone of peace is one of the best safeguards against the constant intrusion of these forces. And practice of equanimity, fundamental practice of yoga. Okay, any questions, anything is there? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'll repeat. Practicing of equanimity, absolutely. So at three levels, one has to practice it. At the level of the body, changes in the physical environment. 
Travel is one of the simple ways <laughs> you get over it. <laughs> you see, we love those physical comfort zones. People from northern parts of India, when they come to southern part, they are still looking for samosas and alu parota. I have learned to take pizza, but I have a similar problem. But weather changes. Gita puts it at Sheet Oshna. If there is hot weather, oh my AC, I need an AC. Weather is too bad. Why should our mind go on the weather? People coming from the flight, what is the temperature like in Chennai? That's not what is important. One should be so focused on the divine that nothing should matter. The mother described that she is walking on the road and a tram car is coming and she is focused on the divine. One should not even notice it. It's not even a practice to be focused on the divine that nothing matters. So at the physical level, it's a physical discomfort. Bed may be very comfortable. <laughs> bed may be... <laughs> Too comfortable bed also can't give sleep to somebody who is... Fond of sleep, sleeping on the mat, thick, thin mattress. Either ways, it should be like you sleep in, you know, figure out your way, sleep in the divine slab, do whatever one wants to. But if one is affected by physical changes, different people, some people can't sleep if they travel to somebody's home. So, this is equanimity at a physical level. Many examples of it, okay? Then there is another at the vital level. Vital level, the equanimity of many, this is what we were talking about today. So, joy and sorrows, sukh dekheshu, hani labo, failure and successes, gains and losses, vital reacts to them. Somebody insults, he says, oh, this person, no, what does he know? I'll show him. Let my time come. But that's not how, you know, a person who is an aspirant towards yoga should react. In fact, very often I say people who get very angry, they are actually object of pity. I am sorry to use this. It's a depreciatory term. But imagine what would be their private world. A snake is so afraid, always hiding inside. It's terrible. So, not to be affected by the touches of external nature, by the touches, comments of people, insults. When somebody wrote to the mother, Mother, I feel insulted. She says, the soul is never insulted. The ego is, feels insulted. And so many times you catch yourself and see, oh, this is the play of the ego. You turn it away and bring out a greater, more generous. He is bound by, it's his opinion about me. It's okay. He is, you know, that's how he is. Poor fellow. It's okay. I am not governed by somebody's opinion. It doesn't mean I say, oh, I am much above. Sometimes one may... Uh, hear a genuine criticism. It's good to understand. You're happy that you have discovered some defect in your nature which you were blind to. So, so many things. But happiness and sorrow, uh, success and failure, gain and losses. So, this is at the vital level. And then at the mental level, mental level, my viewpoint alone must Cover whole life. That's not how life is, you know. Many flowers will bloom in the garden. Yes, there should be a difference drawn between flowers blooming in a garden and serpents. That one should know. 
Serpents also have their own place, nothing wrong with that. That much one, one should know. So often people ask, I'll give you one example, when they talk about Shurabindu's yoga and all kinds of things. I say, see, it's perfectly fine. People have all kinds of things. They hold meditation classes, they hold um, guided imagery and link up everything to Shurabindu. My issue is don't link up with Shurabindu. It's perfectly fine. There are so many ways of doing your, your thing. <laughs> Even, you know, paid courses, whatever it is. It's each one's freedom. But Shurabindu's yoga is Shurabindu's yoga. We have read it. It's not like everything and anything is Shurabindu's yoga. Anything and everything is not even yoga. Guided imagery is very good. But we can't use the word yoga. I don't have to surrender to the Divine Mother, but I am into Shurabindu's yoga. Somebody wrote to Shurabindu that X is a great devotee, but he does not believe in the Mother. What do you have to say? Shurabindu's reply, then whose devotee is he? <laughs> Whose devotee is he if he doesn't believe in the Divine Mother? I mean, it's you need not believe. Nobody is compelling anyone to believe. But this is the way of the yoga. You can't help it. <laughs> you can't play it both ways. If this yoga, then that is the path. If you want to follow your own way, it's okay. Nothing wrong. So this is the difference which one has to. Mental opinions, ways of life. I had, I'll share a practice that I had done for a long time. Still... Whenever if something amiss comes, I do it. All of us grow through certain ideas and people who think. So in adolescence, like everybody, I used to think a lot about things and write a lot. And this is what things are. This is how things are. Then when I started reading Shurabindu, every time I found something contradicts my thought. I said, drop this fellow, accept this. And now understand it. Because I may not understand why Shurabindu is saying so. But then my thing was, Shurabindu is right. If mother has said something, it is right. Now I need to understand. I may not understand. So let me understand. And invariably, the understanding will come. Sometimes like flashes it would come. The whole thing would be clear why she has said so. But the other approach is, no, 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 that's okay. I have my own views on the subject. It's okay. Nothing wrong with it. But then that's not yoga. Yoga is to unite with the divine. And it goes through that. They are, they, are, they are representing the divine. It's true that I may misunderstand her writings. But to that I have to open myself and say, Mother, I don't understand what you are saying. Help me understand. And there will be a moment when like a flash it will come. Yes, that's how it is. Then you see the compassion, the love behind whatever she has said with otherwise looked very different. So, this is how one has to practice. My thoughts, my views are all in play of the ego. Where is the seat of the ego? It's in the mind, just as seat of the desire is in the vital. And the mind will not let go of my own thinking. And if it cannot let go, there is no spiritual consciousness. Spiritual consciousness transcends the mind. It is mastery of the mind by the spiritual consciousness, the mind's views, opinions, standpoints that maketh a spiritual being. Just as mastery of the vital by the mind maketh a mental being. So it's a long process. And as I said, you have to catch the key somewhere. Especially with the mind, it's very difficult because we are identified with it. Instinctively we believe, my way of life, we all have grown up. Say in tradition, we have grown up in a certain way of life. All of us. So, 
should i blindly accept everything when i have grown up as a pure vegetarian even eating me uh, what is it called onion and garlic was like a taboo well i picked up onion garlic because i had no no choice in fmc but when i read mother and shobindo i understood you can eat meat it's fine because why mother says so that's the end of the story then slowly the deeper truth i am not saying that one should not be a vegetarian by choice yes there are health benefits but don't link it up to yoga there are people who are vegetarians who may be far from yoga vegetarianism is not equal to yoga that's what so i understood that what she is saying that emphasis should be on yoga these things will drop off when they have to drop off and one can put an effort to drop them off but the mind will hold these opinions view points and thereby lose a chance that's why whenever we have these uh, people who contradict us they in a way help us she says that when you win in a debate you have lost an opportunity to widen to understand a view point so all this uh, uh, is a constant process that's why yoga is happening all the time in this yoga there is no respite <laughs> or rather respite is in her stay in her and go through all this so the battle of life and it practices our indifference stoic attitude be indifferent toward thing which frankly doesn't concern us how somebody is what he is doing with whom he is doing how does it concern will it help me in finding the divine if no it doesn't matter as simple as that so indifference and then other is stoic when touches of nature which you can't bear fortitude develop that and then of course resignation to the divine will life brings all kinds of things to us and sometimes the mental view points can be oh i will never take medicine why because i have to find self healing method fine fine but if you are not willing to take medicine don't come to a doctor then you accept whatever comes <laughs> you can't play both ways or simple is take medicine and open to the divine mother or discover a way of self healing all these are options but the mind will have these ideas opinions it makes a religion of no religion it makes a fetish of being liberal it becomes intolerant of intolerance in others see the paradox is that the mind enjoys some of the most intolerant people are those who hold this view that you should be tolerant they will thrust their opinion down your throat <laughs> you have to say okay <laughs> please tolerate my intolerance a little bit show me the way so when we go past the mind then we can detect these mind games there are plenty of games that the mind plays games mind plays not games people play <laughs> It, you can detect the deceptions the covers the shams very almost unknowingly mechanically unconsciously habitually we put up a show a facade which is going to impress others an appearance so all these are things which yoga will tear off because they are veils behind which the beloved is hidden and beloved doesn't like veils as simple as that <laughs> okay peace call peace fundamental practice 
And I'll tell you the basis of peace. One is calling peace. The basis of peace is the divine presence. Simple way, if mother is everywhere, there is no reason to be disturbed. The moment I feel a little disturbance, I feel, well, I have shifted something inside. Get back to her. Dwell in her. If she is there with me, how can I have any disturbance? Because imagine she is really there. How can one be ever disturbed by anything? So that's how it proceeds. It's an inner battle and a pilgrimage. <laughs> okay. Each doing yoga, whether they have chosen uh, um, consciously or not, but they are here means they are doing yoga, correct? Very clearly, Mother has directly answered all these things. In February issue of All India magazine, I am taking out something on Auroville. It's titled Auroville, The City the Earth Needs. Very clearly, see, conscious or unconscious yoga is going on everywhere. But cradle of superman is not equivalent to a superman. A child in the cradle is a would-be hero and a sage, but is also a would-be robber and a murderer. There are many uh, slips between the cup and the lip. It's a cradle. Cradle is not automatic. So he has to grow up. And you know the dangers to grow up. So that's why turning to the mother opening to the mother and to believe that automatically one is doing yoga or I have gone to another, I have heard things, not only this is still okay. I have heard people say, no, no, you don't need yoga. The charter is there. You have to just follow the charter. And I ask them, pray, tell me, how do you follow the charter without undertaking yoga? Charter is there. Charter doesn't mention the word yoga. So, <laughs> so, but how are you going to be a willing servitor of the divine without engaging in yoga? To say the least. Okay, so this yoga is a must. To believe that, you know, one can do. It's okay, nothing wrong. Those who want to believe, again. And this yoga has a way and a process. All yoga has a way and a process. I can't be any which way and uh, live life like cats and dogs and say I am engaged in yoga because I am in the ashram or Auroville or anywhere. It doesn't work like that. And mother has said very clearly that very few are really engaged in yoga. For ashrams, he said something interesting. What are the others here for? She has said to give the, these who are engaged in yoga the experience of the world necessary for the yoga. Okay. So that's one part of it. So yoga is uh, done. Uh, those who are meant to do yoga will do it anywhere. Mother's words. And those who are not uh, meant to do yoga will not do it anywhere. They may be in ashram, auroville, uh, society, or center or anywhere. They will not do because they don't have the... Yet they are drawn for a different reason. That's okay. People in this world are drawn. For, there is an occult arrangement as the mother put it. Why people are where they are. They may represent the resistance of the world. For example, the old world of the mind must give way to the intuitive world. And uh, 
the mind doesn't let go of its hegemony. So it believes in mental methods, debate, discussion, democracy, all the processes which are going to go. So once I had a little uh, exchange with someone and he said, uh, how does it matter? Let it take 700 years. I said, yes, it doesn't matter. That's one way. Let world collapse. How does it matter? There should be prelate. This is one approach. People take it. But what is the way? I must know that the way is to become more and more one with the divine will. I may say that I don't care about the world. Then don't say I care about the world. Because what is the hope of the future? It is in this spiritual evolution. Somehow this word Superman, I personally feel, you know, it has, and Shubhinda himself has said, one does not come to the yoga with the idea of becoming a superman or a supramental being or a yogi and all these things he has mentioned in letter. It means that the person was uh, moved by the ego aggrandizing itself. So what is yoga about? It is to live in the divine, for the divine, by the divine. That is what is supermanhood. There is no other supermanhood. Superman is somebody who is humblest of the humble. Why? Because he is living in the divine. Divine is the humblest of the humble. He doesn't discard the, uh, the you know, that uh, thou who dwellest, pervadest all the worlds below, yet sittest above. Master of all who work and rule and know, servant of love. Thou who disdainest not the worm to be, nor even the clod. Therefore we know by that humility that thou art God. When we read Shurabindu is what he has spoken about Superman. Superman is somebody who gives himself freely to creation out of his love for God. Superman is somebody who is moved by the will of God to do his works in the world. That is Superman. Superman is somebody, not somebody with grey, not grey hairs are okay, uh, green hairs and, and uh, you know, uh, red ponytail and Funky style and say, I am, you know, candidate for supermanhood. <laughs> most likelihood, <laughs> most likely it is <laughs> hooded superman. <laughs> so, no, no, superman is, uh, Shobinda says, he, he rules to serve. He is a servant of God, lover of God, knower of God. He has no more any personal selfish interest or desire. He is not representing a political party. He is not representing a country. He is not representing a way of life. He is not representing any of the mental ideals. He may say that, well, this approach is more aligned to the mother's way. So he is happy about it. But he is not because he is attached to that particular thing. All these things have nothing to do with Superman. They are inferior man. He, he doesn't subscribe to this ideology or that ideology. After all, who, who will take to this yoga? One who has discovered the insufficiency of mental methods. If we believe that mental methods, debates, discussion can solve the problem of mankind, well, let us continue for another 500 years. As they say that a scientist played with atoms and blew out the earth world before God had time to shout. It's okay. I mean, at one level you can say you live in that vastness, that another prelay. But that's not what we want. It's a, it is a, we don't understand the brink on which we are standing and how much, um, how important it is for mankind even to survive, to take the yoga and grow, take this curve of spiritual evolution. People don't realize how dangerous they are taking the earth by wanting man to continue with the old ideas, old methods, old ways, which have become dated. 
But it's okay. After all, you leave it to the divine. You follow whatever is given to you. So, cradle is okay. But there are the whole journey from cradle to Superman. <laughs> One doesn't become a Superman by reading a book on Superman. Or picking up the phrase. Like people who pick up records of yoga and they say that, you know, uh, I am practicing this. Shubhindu never gave this for practice. It was his diary. It was not even meant to be published. Till 72 complete works, there is no records of yoga. It has come later on. What is for our practice, he has given to us. But why records of yoga appeal? Because you don't have to surrender to the mother and Shubhindu. See, as simple as that. And the mother says that this ambition, this arrogance of the mind hides behind many convenient excuses. Freedom of the minds. Why? Because he says ultimately behind it is that arrogance that does not want to surrender. It's okay. And what may happen is a different thing altogether. But we should not mistake apple for oranges. I mean both are good. <laughs> Yoga is yoga, nothing more, nothing less. And Shurabindu's yoga is not even just yoga is yoga. It is, I mean, it's a, it's a yoga where one has to have the spirit of the warrior. Yes, please. I just wanted to ask this, from the ultimate truth or the ultimate yoga point, from the Advaita point, from the non-duality, this human mind itself is an illusion. There's only divi divine truth, you know. Yes. So, uh, the, I mean, to, to whom we surrender, the surrender did they yes. say that this is yes. all one? So, so huh. yeah. No, no, please go ahead with the question. Yeah, so from that Advaita point, you know, I would like yeah. to, you know, yeah, know. Understand. So, I'll so this probably will take it as a last question because... Yeah. So, Advaita... There yeah. are two kinds of Advaita. One mm -hmm. Advaita which uh, does not accept in the ultimate reality of the individual but accepts a practical reality. Vyavarik, as Shankara's followers would put it. Now, in that case, there is an issue. In that case, since there is only one reality, one reality and none other, then yoga honestly is superfluous. Yeah. There is no individual reality. So, who is doing the yoga and Who's why doing does he do yoga. the yoga? Who is striving, yeah. So, okay. So, it creates a problem. It mm -hmm. creates a... Uh, um, it puzzles more than solving the puzzle. So, ideally, if one lives... And there are people who live like that. That I'll do any which thing because there is no I. There is no doer. People have interpreted the Gita like that. Na hanyate, hanye mane sharire. I can kill anyone because there is no I who is... So, it, it is one kind, extreme Advaita, mm -hmm. which obviously is... Uh, means, uh, I mean, uh, to me, it's philosophically unsound or incomplete. Mm -hmm. uh, there is another Advaita which has tried to bridge the gap. Visishta Advaita and Dvaita Advaita. So, it says there is a reality of the individual soul, something which is immortal, but... Till it reaches a point where it can merge into the ultimate reality. Ultimate. This also creates a problem because then the whole journey becomes meaningless. Mm -hmm. After all, to travel aeons to say, and this is where you began. So yeah. this again leaves a question mark. Now, Shurabindu speaks of the reality of the individual soul, but as a means to fulfill the divine in creation. So in that 
creation is not a maya but a leela meaning leela is unfolding of the divine Play, yeah. manifestation mm. of the divine mm. and in this manifestation there are three terms one is the transcendent who is the ultimate well that's the advaitic non dual ultimate second is the cosmos through the cosmos divine manifest himself through the dual terms of cosmic knowledge and cosmic ignorance both are ways through which he is expressing himself and the third is the individual and all three are required for the divine manifestation obviously if there is no transcendent there is no manifestation because everything is some people have Someone. that like a typical buddhist though ultimately you transcend but uh, there's only the universe self, is yeah. unrolling itself yeah. so it doesn't make sense because there is nothing mm-hmm. which is beyond to manifest equally uh, cosmos of course we understand the cosmos and cos- cosmos is there but if there is no individual then again it makes no sense so individual soul is the point through which the transcendent and the cosmos both transcendent it expressing himself and the cosmos is impacting the individual and the individual is impacting the cosmos so it yeah. becomes not only practical but it is even our intuitive sense will tell us that yes because we experience at least an ego individuality and an apparent reality of the creation but we have to discover the true being within us and the true cosmic being who is hidden behind the cosmos yeah. behind the apparent surfaces the reality which is expressing itself in the cosmos mm-hmm. and of course we have to be connected with the uh, transcendent so yoga is discovering this triple unity within mm-hmm. this was original mysticism in christianity father son and the holy yeah. spirit which got lost unfortunately in religious symbols and cults so this is how shobindo speaks how it differs from the non dualism non dual non dualism doesn't give you a field of action you know ultimately uh, you may govern yourself uh, morally practically because uh, it's more practical you can't be punching people because they'll hit you back <laughs> at some yeah. point so that's the practical aspect but it doesn't make sense of creation but this is the ultimate truth like you know i mean this can be the litmus test yes, you know? because sometimes as humans we we use this life as a, a cheat life like you know like to human to err you know ha ah, so yeah, uh, everything like we fine. take it for granted like Absolutely. we are humans we can do this you know the mind is yeah. perfectly fine but yeah. annulling of the universe as non dualism that's not fine yeah. because absolutely one has to transcend the mind without mm-hmm. the reality sadho yeah. man ka man tyago kaam krodh sangati durjan ki that's true yeah. all spiritual life implies transcending the mind discovering the non dual yeah. yes it's true the one reality mm-hmm. but the next part that how do i act how yeah. do i be that is there a purpose in existence yeah. in my life that's where the Wouldn't it be easier that uh, I mean, if we accept that we are divine beings living a humanized life instead of a True. humans that's living how, a divine, divinized life? That's you how Tillard de Chardin put it. If yeah. there is strength in this idea, for yeah. some people it may work. Yeah, because th- that is the truth. More often than not, what mm-hmm. happens is like mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you, there are two sides of it. So Ravan picked up this Sohamasmi. Sohamasmi. I am that. the problem is you have to simultaneously say tattvamasi you are tattvamasi, also tattvamasi yeah otherwise it creates a problem yeah so one has to live on both discover and mm-hmm. by the power of meditating on the idea not just accepting it at in the background mm-hmm. one can discover the one reality within oneself and in the creation but in this yoga you also continue with the world as you grow you integrate that's how shivindu uses the word yeah, ascent and integration of course of course otherwise if i discover that hmm. there are means to discover it but i have abandoned the world it's very difficult to come back because nothing is ready hmm. 
so people who discover it that way they eventually withdraw because they realize that they have gone uh, you know uh, far and wide and if they enter into the world and it's play mm. they are perplexed or they lose that because it's so difficult so in this yoga you arrive at non dual but you take the world along through the path of works that's why karma yoga is so important mm. as mm. the wide path of entry so that at your instrument are also developing you are engaged with the world at the same time you are discovering the one the sachidanand with beyond all these dualities okay thank you okay so i think we will uh, close thank you so much yeah i would have loved to take many questions but i think time will also run short maybe sometime we'll just have question answers yes okay